He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. We had some technical issues when we recorded this podcast. Nevertheless, I believe this conversation with Steak and Butter Gal is one of the most interesting and, frankly, informative we've ever had. So enjoy. Well, we're here today on the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with uh, Steak and Butter Gal, Bella. I am super glad to be talking to this girl. Um, I'm not going to say why. I want to hear from you first, Phil. Why'd you invite her on the show? Well, Bella's got a uh, great story. And of course, her uh, handle, Steak and Butter Gal, is probably uh, the best one we've had on. Maybe only rivaled by the Meat Mafia guys. Uh, But uh, I can't relate to uh, share Bella's story with the audience. And I think she's got a very unique perspective on many of the things that we uh, talk about on this show. So with that, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Bella and let her introduce herself a little bit. Thank you so much for having me. I'm extremely honored. I actually just had Dr. Ovedia on my channel. So it's really nice to have another conversation with him. But my name is Bella. I'm also known as Steak and Butter Gal. Um, And this name kind of came to be because when I first started the carnivore diet, I all I really wanted to eat was steak and butter. So I couldn't really think of anything else to call myself um, on Instagram. And it really all started on Instagram when I really wanted to just document my progress on the carnivore diet. Um, Before I went carnivore though, just some history, I was actually vegan, plant-based, whole foods plant-based. Actually, I did not eat any processed vegan foods, none of the fake meat stuff, I also did not supplement. Um, I really was passionate about eating clean. So I was whole foods plant-based for six years and I came across some really serious health issues. I'm happy to talk about that later, but that's kind of why I found carnivore because I was desperate to heal some really um, serious health concerns. A lot of them had to do with my skin and I was very self-conscious about my skin, especially since I'm also a performer. I play piano. I basically spent my whole life studying classical piano. So every time I go on stage, I'm always very self-conscious. Oh, I hope, you know, my skin, the acne, the pimples don't show. I had very, very serious issues with my weight. It would fluctuate all the time. There would be times where I could not fit into my concert dresses. So it stressed me out a lot. So I was very desperate to heal, but also to just find a solution for my weight issues. So that's how I started Carnivore. And Steak and Butter Gal kind of was just a fun way to keep me um, accountable along my carnivore journey. I wanted to share my meals, my updates, my progress. And for some reason, it got a lot of traction and attention. I had a lot of females reach out to me and they were like, oh my gosh, I relate to your story. And I was also ex-vegan. So that's kind of how it all started, where I really started to film videos and just documented all of the details of my healing story. So you you were 
how old were you when you decided to go full vegan? So I was 18, maybe 17. I was senior year of high school. And what what led you to go uh, vegan? What what was the reasoning behind that? Or what issues were you having maybe that you were trying to address with a plant-based diet? Yes. So at that time, I was going through the freshman 15. So I was freaking out because, oh my gosh, again, can't fit into the dresses. What is going on? I also started to develop uh, binge eating habits at that time because I thought the only way to lose weight was to restrict dramatically. So I would count calories, restrict my calories, under eat, sometimes just force fast, which is starving in my opinion. And um, I would literally just Google, how do I lose weight quick? And mm. at that time, this vegan guru, her name is Freely the Banana Girl, she popped up on my computer. And she promised all of her viewers, you guys can get a six pack just like me if you eat raw till four. So her whole vegan protocol can was- get a six pack yes. if you eat raw until 4 p.m. Eat raw until 4 p.m. Okay. Yes. And what that means is you eat vegan, but you eat raw fruits, raw veggies all day until 4 p.m. hits. And then you you are free to eat cooked starches like white rice, sweet potatoes, anything that is cooked, but of course still vegan. And you know she promised all her viewers that you can lose weight quick by eating this way. So that's how I started the vegan diet. So where did this? Was there any kind of of evidence or research other than? somebody who says it can be done behind this this way of eating? She didn't really provide much research at all. She was very much about, you know, her own results. But when I did enter, you know, the vegan community, a lot of people at that time were um, referencing Dr. McGregor, I believe that's his name. He wrote the China study, I think. And, you know, they were always referencing this doctor. And he was kind of like the go-to for the science and the research on why the vegan diet was so great. Um, so what what was the China study? What was that all about? Um, I think it just showed how uh, certain populations would eat plant-based and they would have better health, basically. I didn't read the whole book. Yeah. Okay. So the, the China study is actually a pretty interesting, you know, it's probably yeah. one of the most comprehensive uh, nutritional studies ever done on a population. And, and the full mm. uh, report of it is actually a book, like Bella said, it's about a 200 oh, okay. page book. And um, it's interesting. It's an interesting study how facts are selectively used from that study to promote, you know, plant based diets and and uh, but if you look at other facts from that study, it, it uh, doesn't doesn't quite hold up. But uh, it, it's one of the probably most commonly cited nutritional studies, especially in the plant based world. And it's actually an interesting sort of side study on how uh, nutritional data can be uh, kind of uh, interpreted and misinterpreted. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so you. Um, you know, uh, stayed on the plant-based diet, uh, for six years. Um, did you, did you notice 
did you get results that you were looking for sort of initially and then it stopped working or was it sort of a constant, um, you know, struggle uh, and uh, not getting the results that you were looking for? Yeah. When I first started the the vegan diet, um, I noticed great results. I noticed my weight started falling off. I also noted a cert, n- uh, noticed a surge of energy as well. But I'm pretty sure I felt and s- saw all of those results because before I went vegan, I was eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of junk foods as well, um, and a lot of seed oils. I think seed oils and um, soybean type of oils are very popular in Chinese cuisine. So whenever my mom would cook, there's always going to be a bunch of seed oils. Um, so when I cut all of that out, it would make sense why I would suddenly feel so good. So that's probably why I felt that dramatic you know, increase in energy better mood and weight loss. Okay. So when did it stop feeling good? How long? Right. I would say year three was when I was like, oh man, like what is going on? The first two years were pretty much smooth sailing because I focused so much on eating whole foods, plant-based. So again, no junk foods, no processed, you know, fake meats. Um, But at the same time, I didn't supplement at all. So I think by the third year was when my body started feeling the nutrient deficiencies. Um, That's when I started seeing like, okay, so my acne is not truly getting better at all if not worse. And my weight started fluctuating again. And I would notice extreme bloat, bad gas all the time. And um, my hunger would be pretty much all throughout the day. I notice whenever I would sit down to eat a meal, I would get this huge Buddha belly. And then just one, two hours later, I would be hungry again. So it's very difficult to be satiated for me, at least on the vegan diet. So third year uh, was when I was like, okay, well, this doesn't feel amazing anymore. Fourth year is when I lost my period. So I didn't have a cycle for two years and I still tried to push through my, you know, vegan lifestyle. And it wasn't until the sixth year when I took a full body panel test, a blood test. And my doctor sat me down and said, you're deficient in some really vital nutrients and vitamins. And I told her I don't have a period. And she basically just slapped me back to reality and said, you need to start supplementing if you insist on staying vegan or you have to just eat some animal foods. And that kind of is what woke me up. So you're two years into veganism, you're feeling better, but you're not actually seeing the one thing that you were after, which was an improvement in skin condition. Is that right? Yes, that's right. My skin never really got better. Yeah. And then I, I, I went to your YouTube channel and, uh, you have some of the before and afters and, uh, wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, any idea, I realize you're not a medical doctor like our host, uh, but any idea why, what, what the, the medical or chemical reason is behind the outbreaks on your skin that were I guess ameliorated by going back to a plant to a, an animal based diet. Yeah, the cystic acne and the pimples that I got were definitely hormone related. I would always get pus filled, very painful breakouts during the time when I had a cycle. And speaking of my cycle, 
when I did have my cycle back then, it would be extremely painful. And I would notice extreme PMS, lots of mood swings, and coupled with these painful pus-filled pimples. It was a horrible experience. This is before or after going vegan? Oh, this was before and during. So my cycle experience didn't change, didn't change, didn't get better at all. And then I just completely lost it because I was so malnourished. So when you're, when you, when your cycle quit, did the skin clear up? Nope, (laughs) it didn't. So you had the the benefit of not having a, a, a cycle plus the added benefit of continuing to have bad skin. Okay. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I've observed is there is there appears to be a religious fervor. I don't know any other way to describe it in the vegan community. Mm-hmm. Was that your experience? So it very much is like almost like a cult. They are, it's basically their whole world. It's their identity, the vegan diet. And anybody who would turn their back and not eat vegan anymore, I saw this ginormous backlash towards anyone. Um, And I just feel like anytime there was any type of criticism towards the vegan diet, the community would just... I guess, returns so much hate and backlash in return. You know, they're not open-minded at all. They're extremely stubborn and they truly, truly believe that the vegan diet is the absolute best diet in the world. So if I could summarize what I've heard you say, you spent four of your six years as a vegan in a continuously deteriorating state of poor health and at the same time believed that you were eating the best possible diet. Is that right? I most certainly was told that. And yes, a part of me definitely believed it. Um, I remember when I lost my cycle, I would search, is it abnormal to lose your cycle on the vegan diet? And there were all of these forums and threads saying it is normal. It's a sign of health. So I definitely was brainwashed. And um, I started, yeah, I definitely started blindly believing everything that I was told within the vegan community. What do you attribute your, either your willingness to to believe something that was so obviously counterfactual mm-hmm. or to what do you attribute your, your reversal where, where you, you recognized that you've been believing something that was just clearly not true. I mean, was, were you the kind of person who was easily, Led and then you had this big switch, or did was veganism a big switch for you? I would say my intentions at the start, when I first found the vegan diet, my intentions were not the best because all I wanted to achieve was weight loss. It was very much vanity focused. And at that time, again, I was still performing and on stage. And it was like a big deal to me that I had to fit into those dresses and I had to look my best on stage. So I went into the vegan diet only wanting to lose weight. And I think I've learned now that I should be prioritizing feeling good and having great health 
and also having weight loss or a fit body or just um, feeling strong as well. So the vegan diet, you know, it definitely caused a lot of eating disordered habits for me over the years. I didn't see any results in my skin. The weight if I tweak some things, if I under eat, but this, this, this applies to any diet, right? You can always lose weight when you under eat. So again, sure. just gave me all of these <laughs> disordered eating habits. So I couldn't stop binging all of the time. And I even tried to purge, but that was not successful for me. And I definitely built a really unhealthy relationship with food. So how, how does the vegan community at, in your experience, I realize you don't you you don't have the the right to speak for them all. But in your experience, how did the vegan community keep you um, in line? What happened? What happens with people to keep them in that state? I'm not even going to go down the identity trail. I just want to know what were the practices that the community engaged in to keep you in line. I think they work really hard and they're very effective in making you feel guilt. So they, you know, have this strong message. Yeah. They have this strong message where they focus on the ethical side that we are protecting animals. We are also protecting the earth, right? So if you were to not eat vegan anymore, well, then you are evil. You are not a good human being because you are hurting all these animals to this day on my Instagram and YouTube, I still get comments all the time from vegans saying that, you know, you're evil. How, how dare you eat, you know, animals and you're killing all these animals. So it's, it's something that they really, really love to focus on and shine so much light on. So I definitely felt guilt actually when I stopped eating vegan and I started eating meat. That was the first emotion that I felt. And I, I was ashamed. And I didn't want to tell anyone because when I was vegan, I was that girl who told everyone in her life, you have to go vegan. It's the best diet in the world. So I wanted to keep it under the table when I started eating meat again. Would you agree with this statement? You derived a sense of superiority over your fellow human beings because you were vegan. I definitely felt like the community made me believe that. Um, This is only tangentially related, but I've spent 30 years studying cult psychology and um, by far and away, one of the most powerful tools in the tool belt of any cult Mm. is imposed guilt for natural behaviors. Um, And in fact, one of the things that makes it most difficult to leave a cult is your sense that leaving the cult is ethically, morally wrong, which is fascinating because when when you look at it, when you step back and examine it, the broader issue, what, what is happening is that the cult leaders are using the virtue, the innate impulse toward virtuous behavior as a weapon against you. You want to do the right thing. You want to be virtuous. And they use that desire to be virtuous to keep you in line. It's, it's pernicious. It's a horrible, horrible thing. 
Um, all right. So you come to this decision point, your doctor makes you aware that your eating choices have to change or you're in really bad, you, you don't have a good future. And that gave you permission, I guess, to make that, that change, decide to change. Is that right? Yes. That was kind of the catalyst because at that point I was just desperate to get my period back. So something that I definitely prioritize for my future is I want to have children. So if I don't have a cycle, how am I yeah. going to have children? So that's always something that I really cherish is to have a regular cycle at the least. I put up with so much pain and mood swings and difficult experiences just to have one. Um, but to have a cycle was very important to me. So that's what I prioritized over what the vegan community prioritizes so much is just, you know, save the animals, save the earth. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, we're not so, going to go down that path. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I guess I, along those lines, when you, you know, kind of reached out to the community and you expressed the problems you were experiencing and the, you know, those types of issues, what, what kind of response would you typically get? Yeah. So when I put it out there, I don't have a cycle or I searched in vegan communities, what happens if you don't have a cycle? The response that I got was, don't worry, it's normal. It's part of the vegan, you know, lifestyle. If you're a female and you lose your cycle, it's a sign of health. They would go that far to say. So again, I was just brainwashed in believing that, okay, these things are normal and they're supposed to happen. And um, I think you mentioned uh, at the beginning uh, when you were talking about, you know, when you were doing plant-based that you didn't uh, supplement at all. Um, What, uh, again, you know, it's, uh, you know, I talk about in my book uh, that, you know, plant-based can be done in a healthy manner, but it does mandate, you know, there's mandatory supplementation that goes along with being on a plant-based diet, if that's what you want to uh, do. Uh, Did you get that sort of same message from within the plant-based community or were you, you know, is it a commonly held belief, I guess, amongst the plant-based community that you can do that without supplementing at all? Yeah. So I think there were a couple camps at, at least when I started uh, vegan, there was a whole group where they focused on whole foods, plant-based, and they were very against supplementing. They didn't want anything processed. They only wanted to eat whole foods only. And they also spread the message that you can get all the vitamins, minerals, nutrients that you need, as long as you eat plenty of whole foods, uh, plants. Uh, so like lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, raw is better. There is also a whole movement, uh, raw vegan. Um, I tried that for a while, but I just couldn't stick with it because I couldn't eat enough to feel full throughout the day. So that's why I incorporated uh, cooked starches, white rice, sweet potatoes, potatoes, lots and lots of beans. Um, And that's kind of what I thought I could eat to get in everything. Doc, talk about what's happening chemically, metabolically in a human body that is strictly vegan, even a whole whole real food vegan like Bella was, but not supplementing. What's What was likely happening in her body chemically? Yeah. So, you know, 
we know that there are certain essential nutrients uh, and, you know, probably the two broadest categories are the B vitamins and, and uh, certain amino acids uh, that just simply cannot be obtained from plant-based foods. And so the only way to avoid a deficiency in those ultimately is to supplement. And, you know, Bella's story is very, uh, now, I, w- I would say, Hold common. on, B vitamins and uh, essential amino acids? And essential, certain essential amino acids uh, are probably the two biggest things. There, there are some other things that come into play, you know, whether you can get enough of the fat-soluble vitamins. and uh, But, you know, B vitamins, uh, especially vitamin B12 and uh, a couple of the essential amino acids uh, are probably, are, you know, the most common nutritional deficiencies that can't be overcome uh, with a plant-based So diet. what was happening and, and, to know, her because she wasn't getting these B vitamins and these amino acids? What was going on in her body? Yeah. So, uh, you know, vitamin B12 deficiency can have uh, many, uh, you know, many of the uh, effects that Bella was seeing, uh, you know, uh, skin, connective tissue problems. Uh, there are some mental health uh, issues that go along uh, with vitamin B deficiency. And then the uh, amino acids and the, uh, you know, essential amino acid deficiency is going to be to, you know, inability. Your your body is basically going to start breaking down your own muscle tissue that to, was, achieve, to obtain. That was my question. Uh, the amino acids are the building blocks yeah. of the proteins. Is that right? Yep, and without exactly. those amino acids, your body doesn't have the ability to repair, restore, um, and and in order to get those, it starts leaching them from existing tissue. Bella, exactly. did you notice, uh, like, if you cut yourself or had a wound or anything, that you had difficulty, that it was slow to heal or slower than it used to be? Yeah, I'm so glad you pointed that out because... Yeah. Anytime I would cut myself or have injuries or bruise, I would bruise so easily. You could just, you know, touch me a little bit too hard and I would bruise. So with the cuts in the, in the actual injuries, it took a very long time for that cut to seal and heal completely. So that has changed for you now? Yes. You don't bruise easily? I don't. You know what? That, uh, this is literally the first time I've ever heard this. I, you know, I've known people in my life who, who seem to bruise very, very easily. Yeah. And, and I've noticed something about myself historically. I just don't bruise. You got to, you got to whack me with a, a sledgehammer before I'll show anything. And I just always assumed that was yeah, just the way you're built. But what I'm hearing is that it could actually be related to your intake of, of vitamins, minerals, essential amino acids, those kinds of things. Is that right, Phil? Yeah, yeah, certainly it is. Uh, you know, I would say the two most common reasons that uh, we see people who easily bruise, you know, is because of, first of all, medications that they might sure. be on that would cause that. And then because of nutritional deficiencies that, you know, uh, the, the blood clotting system is a very complex system. There are lots of, you know, enzymes and proteins and things involved. And uh, there are lots of nutritional, you know, factors, cofactors that are necessary for that to all work correctly. And so nutritional deficiencies could certainly 
manifest in that way. Okay, Bella, I'm so, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, so then, Bella, you start looking for answers outside of the vegan community, and, you know, you come across uh, carnivore at some point, which is obviously the, you know, polar opposite. <laughs> and <laughs> what, you know, kind of what went through your head at that yeah. point that, uh, you know, the answer might be to literally change, you know, 180 uh, from what I'm doing to what I need to be doing. Yeah. I often get asked like, why would you go from one extreme to the other extreme? And my family, I have three siblings, my mom, you know, she's, she was always so concerned with my health. And I remember when I first told her, she was the first person who I told when I started eating meat again, told her, Hey mom, I'm, I'm eating meat and I need help with how to cook meat. Cause I never in my life had to cook animal foods. And I remember just how happy she was in that phone call because I was studying in New York City and she was in China and she was just celebrating on that phone call with me. I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep it a secret that I'm not eating vegetables and only eating meat for now. But, you know, she taught me my first few recipes as a carnivore. Um, But I feel like the reason why I went from vegan directly into the carnivore diet and overnight too, I didn't do any transition must be to do with my personality. So my personality type is extremely like all in or not at all. So for example, if I'm practicing piano and I'm preparing for a concert, right? If I'm going to sit down and practice, it's going to be 10 hours. And if I want to take a break, I'm not going to touch the piano or think about it at all. Like that's just how I work as a human. And that's just my work ethic. I want to really commit as best as I can, 100,000%, or I'm just not going to do it. So that's kind of my mindset when it came to nutrition as well, I guess, from vegan straight to carnivore. And I'm actually glad I did that because I I do not feel, well, I have never felt this great. Since I started carnivore, there was an adaptation phase for sure. But when I became adapted, I was so impressed, so shocked at how clear my mind was all the time, how efficient I could be at the piano, and also how effortless it was to just lose the weight. Efficient at the piano. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm a pianist, so talk oh, really? to me about that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So for example, if I have to memorize um, a Beethoven sonata, right? and I have a time limit, you have two weeks to memorize it, and then you have to get on stage. Efficiency to me is very important. How much work and memorization can I get done within one day's worth of work, right? So for me, efficiency is everything at the piano. I really like to do practice hacks where I can just practice in a certain way where I can get more done. And this includes memory, but also technique and also artistry how can I get more done than the classmate right next to me? And it's like at Juilliard, it was really just one room, another room. You literally hear your competitors sure. right next to you. I've so spent hours in the practice, practice rooms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you, you saw a difference mentally. What about physically? I sat down the other day, there's a, a blues lick. I'm more of, I'm a blues key blues player. There's a blues lick that I, I wanted to, a left-handed blues lick that I really wanted to to master. And I sat down and began working. And I remember sitting in the the practice rooms 
doing this kind of thing. And I just run this one lick sequence over and over and over and over until my hands and until they, until they were cramping so bad, I couldn't move them. Did you, do you see any physical change as a result of going from vegan to, to carnivore in terms of the physical ability at the piano? Absolutely. I did. So, wow. Yep. Of course. Of course. And that's a huge bonus. One of the most important things to me is how is it affecting my ability to play at the piano? So for example, when I was vegan and even before I was vegan, when I was just eating standard American slash Chinese diet, I would always have this pain right here in my wrist, in my right hand. And when you're playing these really huge chords at the piano, you can't help but strain your hand in a certain way. For example, Mm -hmm. if you play really technically difficult pieces where it requires you to strain your hand like that for like two to three minutes straight, it's it's very easy to develop tendonitis. I believe a lot of pianists will get that. I never really had that, but I would always have this. Was it, was it Schubert who screwed himself, screwed himself up trying to. Schubert was one of them. One of the few, (laughs) Uh, the many actually. Um, But yeah, just pain, a sharp pain right there. And no matter what I did, what massages, what therapy, it wouldn't go away. And then when I ate only meat, it went away which is so surprising to me. Oh I couldn't my believe it. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, I, I had a similar experience regarding my uh, plantar fasciitis and, uh, you know, struggling with that for a long time until I finally went carnivore. Uh, so it is interesting how, you know, just inflammatory conditions like that seem to uh go away, uh, with the carnivore. Is that what it boils down to? It's just inflammatory situation. I I think largely it is. I think, uh, you know, it may also have to do with, you know, on the carnivore diet, you're getting a lot of, uh, you know, the building blocks for connective tissue. Uh, so, you know, things like, uh, you know, creatine and, uh, um, collagen, you know, that go into, uh, building our connective tissues, like our tendons and our, uh, I think that's a a large part of it as well. So Bella, how did, how does the standard Chinese diet differ from the standard American diet? I I take it you are ethnically Chinese? Yes. Okay. I'll answer that question. Then I've got a follow-up question. Okay. Yeah. I was actually born in Shenzhen, China, and then I moved to California when I was three. So that's why when I speak English, I don't think I have an accent, so you can't really tell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So standard Chinese diet, at least cooked by my mom, was a lot of white rice, tons of veggie and meat dishes, very meat-centered, but always cooked with seed oils. Um, Her favorite was sesame oil. She would just drizzle sesame oil on everything for that extra boost of flavor. Um, But a lot of eggs, tons of milk, at least for me, I was... I am the tallest of my family because um, I would drink so much milk every day. I loved my meat. I was always the first to go to the table to eat and the last to leave. Yeah. (laughs) I loved food. I loved eating. And I was actually quite overweight as a kid. But when I had my growth spurt, which was very intense, I think I grew like four or five inches over one summer. That's when I saw like, okay, I'm no longer overweight, but wow, I'm like so tall, you know? So I started obsessing over like looking really lean. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I ate. 
So uh, how does how is how is the standard Chinese diet? You said you you ate the standard American slash Chinese diet. What, yeah. How is it? Di- how's the Chinese verse different from the American? Oh, okay, yeah. So a lot less bread. Um, our favorite carb was rice. Steamed okay. white rice was our go-to. That was kind of like our carb of choice. And I noticed like with American cuisine, there's a lot of fries, like fried stuff. We don't really right. fry. We love to saute and we really like to steam, which I think is a lot healthier because you're not, you know, deep frying in so much fat. Um, what else? Just very, very much meat centered. I think with American cuisine, it's extremely carb heavy. But with Chinese, it's very meat heavy. So, um, so that I got to yeah. jump in there for a second because you know, again, uh, the China study, um, which studied you know food consumption throughout China, um, is always put forth that you know the Chinese uh, diet is very you know vegetarian, vegan, uh, kind of leaning, very vegetable heavy, and uh, you know. Again, that's been pointed out uh, in many arenas that uh, there's actually a very high level of meat consumption through most of the areas of China. You know, there are certain provinces, certain areas, um, but uh, uh, very, you know, again, it's uh, just a lot of the uh, misinterpretation uh, intentional or unintentional, we could debate about, but a lot of the mer- misinterpretation of the data that came out of the China study to support uh, a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a difference in in the the meats that you eat? And there's, a, I'll tell you the reason why I ask this. Um, it is, it's my understanding, accurate or not, that your ethnic background kind of has an effect on how well you're able to process different kinds of foods, uh, metabolically process. So I'm, my assumption based on what I've, what I've been told, I haven't done the research is that if you're, if you're of an Asian extraction, you have less ability to deal with the fattier meats that your meats tend to be leaner. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if that's true or not. What's your experience? Do you talk yeah. about the meats that you eat? That's interesting. And I'm actually interested in hearing Dr. Ovedia's thoughts on this because I often get asked this question whenever I post YouTube videos, you know, as an Asian face eating the carnivore diet. And I actually feel my best eating the fattiest cuts of meat. I have to eat so much fat for my body at least. And when I first started carnivore, I ate a whole stick of butter every single day. And that's kind of why I'm sticking butter gal, you know, because <laughs> I ate so much butter, so much. Yes, I needed the animal fats. I literally could not shut off the voice in my head screaming for animal fats. And I wow. think that's also why I got my cycle back so quickly. I got it back within two to three months of starting carnivore. And I really think it's because I ate so much healing, satiating animal fats. That's why I got it so uh, got it back so quick. Um, but when I when I was eating my mom's foods, her home cooked meals, she actually 
cooked a huge variety of meats, lots of seafood as well. Uh, she loved cooking with pork and the pork cuts. I remember, you know, a very traditional Chinese dish is pork belly. So she always mm. cooked that. So that's very high fat. And um, she rarely would cook steaks. With Chinese dishes, it's it's always braised or sautéed or steamed. It's never just like a quick sear. Uh, but now as a carnivore, that's all I need is just like a bloody blue rare steak seared really quick. And I feel amazing. Well, as, as an American yeah, you know, of Northern European extraction, I would like to say there's nothing that makes me feel better either. Okay. Awesome. I just, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, first of all, ancestrally, you know, uh, evol on the evolutionary kind of, you know, um, picture, uh, there's lots of evidence to suggest that, you know, eating fat is what allowed us to evolve as humans. Uh, and that, uh, you know, our ancestors, despite your ethnicity, our, you know, sort of common human ancestors, uh, seeked out and prioritized, uh, getting fat in their diets and, and things like, you know, the ability to, um, open bone so that you could get to the bone marrow, which is actually a very fatty, uh, you know, there's lots of fat in bone marrow and there's evidence, you know, again, from the, um, ancestral record that that was one of the skills, uh, that basically allowed us to evolve as humans. And it doesn't surprise me that you particularly, you know, would have been kind of craving fat when you made this transition because, you know, you were, you were lean, uh, you were malnourished. Um, you know, as I mentioned, mm. the fat soluble vitamins, uh, are one of the things that oftentimes become deficient on a, you know, non-supplemented plant-based diet because the plant-based diet tends to be very low in fat. And, uh, again, you know, you obviously can't, absorb these fat soluble vitamins if you're not eating fat. Uh, so, um, that doesn't surprise so the fat me soluble all. vitamins During are the, A, D and E, uh, uh, A, D, E and K. A, D, E and K. All right. Okay. Yep. Are the fat soluble vitamins. Um, talk a little bit more about the transition period because, um, you know, when you all of a sudden shift from eating only plant matter to eating only animal yeah. matter, there's going to be some, uh, you know, absorption issues. There's going to be some microbiome changes in the gut. Uh, did you have a lot of sort of gut problems? Did you have problems initially uh, digesting and, and absorbing uh, the animal products? Yes, definitely did have quite a lot of issues with absorbing the amount of fats that I was eating. So I had this one side of me that only wanted to eat fat. I would eat beef fat trimmings raw. I would just pack it and go to school and just nibble on it raw. I would get free beef fat trimmings from butcher shops in New York City because I was on a tight budget. And if not that, literally frozen sticks of butter as my snacks. And um, I would be struggling with loose diarrhea, honestly, explosive diarrhea, uh, for weeks on end. And it wasn't too convenient because I would be sitting in class and, you know, it'd be a very quiet classroom. And my professor would be giving this lecture on Beethoven sonatas. And I would literally have to bolt out the door because I felt that urge. So I struggled with that. Just, you can't predict when it's coming, uh, for weeks. And 
I did some tweaking. I did some experimenting because I really couldn't, you know, carry on dealing with this. So I looked at, you know, other carnivores. They were of a big help to me. For example, Kelly Hogan. Um, I remember hearing about the Petersons and I started researching, okay, carnivore diet, how do you prevent loose stools? And apparently if you uh, eat less fat, you could have less loose stools. And I was like, no way, I need my fat. So what else can I do? Because I really was craving for fat so strongly. I could not help it. So instead what I did was I started playing around with the actual consistency of the fat, which worked for me. So instead of having rendered, melted, warm slash hot fats that were liquid, I played around with, let me have this warm melted fat sit and solidify. So I would either leave it out on the counter and just have it solidify or put it in my fridge or freezer. And I did notice an improvement in my loose stools because my body was able to um, digest and absorb that fat easier than melted hot fats. I don't know if that makes sense or if there's science behind that, but I found it was easier to digest fat when I had it solid, which is why I would always have solid frozen or chilled butter instead of melted soft butter. I would always have frozen beef fat or raw beef fat instead of rendered ground beef soup fat. Yeah. That's, that is just fascinating. I will just tell you parenthetically, I've loved butter my whole life and there's a constant battle in every household I've ever lived in over the, the temperature and the consistency of the butter. Most people that I've lived with have wanted the butter to be soft and spreadable. And I just love it hard and chunky. That's just, I've never, I've never done the just eating butter right out of the fridge or right out of the freezer, but you have inspired me. I am going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. Salted or unsalted? Jack. Oh, unsalted. Oh, unsalted. Yes. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> Jack's going to be uh, hooked on the butter uh, popsicles Yay. now. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, so, so uh, I guess contrast the uh, communities a little bit, yeah. you know, so, when you were having struggles around carnivore and you reached out to the community or, you know, as you continue to interact with the community, what do you see different than the vegan community? Yeah. First off, a lot more open-minded. Um, it's a lot less dogmatic. There's less like you have to do this. You sh- cannot do that, but more like, Oh, try and tweak this, play around with that. So it's just, more friendly in general as well. Um, and I don't feel like um, there's only one way to do the carnivore diet like I did when I was in the vegan community. And I also noticed this um, just very warm, welcoming vibe, at least online, right? I A lot of these Instagram or carnivores that I meet and talk to, it's, it's on a phone or it's on a laptop. So I don't actually know how they are in person. I've been to one meetup in person and all the carnivores that I met, they were incredibly friendly and very just nice. So I feel like when you are eating the right foods and your body is happy and your hormones are happy, you're able to just not be cranky, I guess. You're just yourself. And I noticed that with with carnivores in the community, it's just truly very genuine. 
You know, it's interesting that you should say that. Um, my wife, we had Dr. William Davis on the show a couple of months ago, and my wife and I uh, picked up a copy of his book, Supergut, and he talks about the emotional and hormonal changes that happen when we get our gut straightened out. And one of the, th- this is the thing that stopped me in my tracks. And he's not talking about uh, carnivore versus vegan. He's just talking about uh, the microbiome and how we've screwed it up over the years. Part of the screwed up microbiome is the grains that we that we've been taught to consume. But he talks about when we get that microbiome straightened out, the changes, the hormonal changes that occur with, uh, um, dang it, what's the what's the hormone feel starts with a D dopamine, the dopamine, the dopamine changes and the serotonin changes that actually affect people's empathy. Mm -hmm. People who have screwed up microbiomes are less empathetic, literally less empathetic because of this lack of, I, I think it's serotonin, um, that, their their bodies are are creating and when they get that straightened out they literally are more empathetic people so it i i so yeah no it's all uh quite fascinating um i guess talk about uh where this has led you now bella what you're <laughs> doing now uh i know you have uh the you know, YouTube channel that, uh, I was, uh, you know, I appeared on, uh, uh, recently and you have a community. And so I guess talk about, you know, what you're doing now, where this has led you and do you still sort of have interactions? I think you mentioned a little bit about that. Uh, you still have some, I guess, contact, uh, from the vegan community, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, have, have, have you been able to influence, you know, have you had other vegans that have uh, sort of uh, followed your path? Yes. And that's what I really am so moved by whenever I get a DM or an email or a comment from somebody who is still vegan and they are seriously considering eating animal foods again. And they reach out to me of all people for, you know, help and support. And I always feel so emotional and honored because I truly wish I had someone to lean on for advice or at least for some type of accountability when I first started my carnivore journey. So I'm very glad that I can be that source of support for my fellow ladies and guys who want to try eating animal foods again. Uh, again. Um, and I think in general, I'm just extremely grateful and happy that I no longer have to practice 10 hours every day (laughs) just to have an income. And yes, I, I, I love music. I love performing. It is my biggest passion to this day, but I have to say it was very stressful just being a student, especially at the Juilliard school, just where everybody was just competing with each other. And you have to be at the top 1% if you actually want to be successful as a solo concert pianist. Um, And so to have this new opportunity for myself where I can love what I do and help people at the same time and kind of control my own schedule and um, creativity, I feel very grateful that I found this opportunity. Um, And I have to say it it sprouted when it was the pandemic because 
that year, 2020 was the year that I was about to graduate with my master's. And I remember how upset I was because I didn't even have a real graduation ceremony. It was all on Zoom. And also, I didn't have any more gigs, didn't have any more live concerts or opportunities as a pianist. So I was like, well, what am I going to do now? I could continue to practice hours and hours a day and not really do anything with my work, or I can just explore something else. And at that time, I was really feeling the benefits of the carnivore diet. So I was like, well, I'm just going to document it because I'm so enamored with this lifestyle. So might as well share it with whoever wants to see it. And that was the start of my, I don't know what to call it, like carnivore career, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I i kind of just listened to my audience. They kept telling me, you should start a YouTube channel. So I started a YouTube channel and that's my Steak and Butter Gal channel um, today. And it's doing really well. I get the fabulous opportunity to interview and have conversations with brilliant minds like Dr. Ovedia. I feel so lucky to be able to learn and also post my own videos. And um, again, for my audience, they said, you should start a support group. So I did that. And that's kind of um, what I do most of my time is to run this support this support group called the Steak and Butter Gang. And I do a lot of live Zoom calls in there with my community members. And we basically Steak just Steak and Butter Gang. I love yeah. that. <laughs> SB Gang. <laughs> so I just connect with fellow carnivores, real human beings. Uh, we invite on guest speakers. Again, Dr. Ovedia is going to be a guest in July. And it's just this great, reliable source of connection and learning and inspiration. So that's what I do now. So this is the point in the podcast where people are going to go, okay, so how do I find out about this support group? Yeah. So it's, you can just go to sbgmeetup.com, meet as an eat fatty meat, um, and hit enter and you'll, you'll, you'll land on the page where you can choose how you want to sign up and join. SBG meetup meet spelled M-E-A-T. Yes. Correct. All right. Well, we'll make sure that appears in the show notes. Thank you. Um, and for our listeners, all of, all of Bella's contact information will be available in the show notes. So you don't have to wreck the car trying to reach for a pin underneath the dashboard right now. All right. Um, I, have a, I have a completely non-diet related question for you. What's your favorite piece to perform? Definitely Beethoven Wallstein Sonata. Which one is that? Uh, sonata number 21. Okay. What's your favorite piece to hear performed? Uh, any Rachmaninoff piano. I knew concerto. you were going to say Rachmaninoff. <laughs> I just yes. knew you would. Any, yeah. All right, very good. Are you? Do you perform? Uh, do you get the opportunity to perform any um, these days? Well, since I am so busy with what I'm doing online, I haven't really returned to performing live, but I think that's something that I will always be open to, to go back to just being a performer. But right now I'm kind of happy with just uh, performing, recording myself and posting it online for my virtual audience. Uh, now, does that show up on your YouTube site? Yes, it does. Okay, so if you, want to see, yeah. if you want to see Bella perform... <laughs> You got to go to our YouTube channel, which we and will Instagram. also post. Thank oh, you. Oh, Instagram, Instagram yes. channel. Okay, we're going to post that as well. Thank you. Yeah, steak butter and piano. Yeah. Quite the uh, channel. <laughs> All right, I got to ask this last question because I'm a piano nerd. What kind of piano do you have? Steinway and Sons, all the way only. <laughs> Steinway. Which one? Oh, which one? Oh, yeah. 
Well, at home in California, I have a um, actual concert. I think that's D. Wait, the the largest one you can get. <laughs> I don't even know what model it is called. But my mom really splurged and she got me the largest size possible, Steinway and Sons. So that's the one I have. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, color me deeply, deeply jealous. <laughs> Although my favorite piano that I currently get to play is a, a Yamaha. Um, it's just, it's not mine. It's a buddy that belongs to a buddy who's a harmonica player, but uh, uh, it's just set up perfectly for me. That's awesome. My own piano is not set up the way I would like it to be, but <laughs> my piano isn't worth spending the money to get it set up that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Any last words, Phil? No, I mean, this has been great. I, I really want to applaud Bella for, you know, being able to make such a change and being, uh, you know, upfront and out there about it. You know, we've we've talked uh, many times, you know, uh, I've talked about it myself and some of the other medical professionals who have been on here have talked about, you know, being able to admit uh, that you were down a wrong path, that you were wrong about some things, I think is a very admirable quality that uh, not all of us have the capability for. So, um, I, you know, I, oh, I yeah. just applaud you for what you've done and what you're doing. And, um, you know, I look forward to uh, continuing this conversation. Thank Likewise. You so much. Likewise. I'm impressed. It's fun to have real people instead of medical professionals. Not that. Oh, <laughs> No, I've loved having our medical professionals too. Bella, thanks for being here. Steak and butter gal. We'll make sure that all her contact information is available in the show notes, folks. And Phil, we got a lot more coming up here. You've got my calendar booked for the next couple of months with really cool, interesting people. So, hey, you folks, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. They happen every week. And we'll talk to you next time. Chances are, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.